did Pope Francis just create a liturgical great reset? Did we go back with the new motu proprio to 1970 to a situation similar to that of Archbishop Lefebvre when this whole thing began with the new Novus Ordo? I'm here with a pioneer, Michael Matt of Remnant TV, and we're going to be talking about whether this is a great reset. Are we in a similar situation as before? Is it better or is it worse? Michael, Matt, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Taylor? Great. Doing well. Doing well. I'm sure you were, um, in a way, we were shocked. We knew this was coming, but we didn't know it was going to be this draconian. Do you agree? I've learned not to be too surprised by anything Francis does. But yeah, I, I, I am surprised that it wasn't couched in a little bit nicer terms at least you know more pastoral terms that 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 surprised me so so what do you think is this is this a reset for traditional catholics are we back to 1970 better or worse well it's interesting you use the term reset because it's all about the great reset of course and uh yeah the second vatican council i think was the precursor to the davos world economic reset that's coming or that's happening right now but i think and this may surprise you or some of your some of your your uh, your viewers I think we're better off. I think we're worlds better off having lived through the nightmare that was the 1970s. I think Francis has jumped the shark, and I think he's in for a surprise here. So, yeah, I, with God's help, I think we're way better off. Yeah, I, th- I think in a way we are better off because we have so many communities. I mean, almost every major city in the United States has a traditional Latin mass. That was not the case in the 1970s. I think we're worse off in that we've been fighting the fight, or I haven't, but others have, for 51 years and we're still getting pushback from Rome. Yeah. Mode appropriate. Yeah. yeah. There's there's so much to unpack from this latest mode appropriate in terms of an absolute vindication, exoneration, pick your favorite word, of the traditional Catholic pioneers. And whatever you think of him, Archbishop Lefebvre is looking pretty good right now. Um, and I think the historic stand that he took and a lot of those men took, Francis just absolutely exonerated them. I don't know if he realizes this, but that's what happened over the course of this document. So I hope we can get into that a little bit because that's uh, that's a big part of the silver lining for, for this this whole this whole fiasco. Sounds good. Let's uh, we'll begin with the uh, the prayer. We'll do the Our Father in Latin. You want to do the second half, Michael? Sure. Okay, let's do it. Oremus. Nomini Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater Noster, qui es in Celi, Sanctificator, Nomen Tuum, Adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Uh oh, I just lost Michael Matt. I'll continue the prayer and get him back. Panam nostrum quotidianum de nobis odie, et dimite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Let me get Michael Matt back. Unavailable. All right. Well, I will continue on without him, and hopefully we will get him back into the swing of things here. So, Michael, I just asked Michael Matt. We lost him. He'll be back. I'm sure he'll be back. Are we better or are we worse? Michael says we're better, and uh, I think that's generally correct. I think with with um, the growth of 51 years, and as I said yesterday, if you think of this whole battle as a 100-year war, a 100-year epic, we are, in 2021, This the Novus Ordo came out in 1970, we are at 51 years. 51 years. We are at 51% of this epic. Okay, here he is. He's back. There you are. You're back. I'm back. Good. Can you see me? Can you hear me? I can't see Sorry, you yet. I apologize for that. We there lost you right when you started the Potter Noster. I finished it. There we go. Okay, you're back. Let me get you back it's in. It's the devil. The devil is after the us devil, again man. here. There we go. All right. I think it's a signal issue, but it looks strong at the moment. Okay, good. Apologize. Yeah, no worries. So I I was just saying, Michael, maybe you can bounce off of this. If you think of this as a hundred year war, a hundred year epic, it started in 1970. Right now, we're at the 51 year mark, 51 years. And it's still 
a top three topic in the Catholic Church. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that, that's really, really good news. I mean, it, <laughs> by all rights, humanly speaking, it should have gone away a long, long time ago. The full force of the Vatican, of a council in a way. I mean, you could argue that Vatican II did not call for the abrogation, which of course it didn't, of the traditional Latin Mass. But the spirit of Vatican II certainly was an abrogating spirit of, of the, the traditional Roman Rite. So the full power of the church, an ecumenical council, two or three popes, was leveled against this liturgy. Was a I should maybe, if you want me to be more politically correct, I would say would, was leveled in favor of a liturgical reform that replaced and supplanted the, the old venerable, the venerable Roman rite. And yet, it's not only here still, <laughs> with millions of adherents, Taylor, but uh, so powerful and such a threat. I really hope that I know. I'm sure some of your viewers, like ours, were very discouraged over the past few days, and I understand that. But consider the other side, sort of the flip side of this. Nothing happened that wasn't anticipated, first of all. And even if you go back, go back as far as the 1984 indult, if you go to 1988, the Ecclesia Dei indult, if you go to the Samorum Pontificum, Motu Proprio, the whole idea was we were going to be sort of dragged into accepting everything that was happening in the church. And, and of course, the Society of St. Pius X was going to sign a deal of regularization, and everyone was going to go along with, uh, with what Abbe Denon said years ago, that give us the Mass so long as we swallow the Council. Well, that did not happen, uh, Taylor. Not only did it not happen, but with respect to the society, and I always like to say, I'm not in the society. I don't attend society masses just because I, I have a diocesan old friend. I attend his masses. So I'm not a, a, an apologist for the society. But just the opposite happened with the society. If they had sustained criticism over the past 10 years, what would it be? That, that criticism was that they were too sort of amenable to making a deal with the Vatican and too non-schismatic, too friendly with, with Francis. So not only did they not take the bait, and and come in and get regularized, but they also proved to any any fair witness that they are not systematic. They're not trying to stay outside the church. That we are all in various ways dealing with a very serious revolution in the church. But praise God, the Latin Mass at the center of it, because it is of God, is only stronger after all of these years of trying to suppress the thing. It's only stronger. And I I, I don't know about you, but over the past few days since this latest uh, motu proprio landed. I've never seen traditional Catholics unite around the world. Not only traditional Catholics, but Catholics. I don't know if you noticed Father Stravinskis wrote a brilliant article for Catholic World Report just yesterday, of all things, decrying the Samoran Pontiff or this this anti-Samoran Pontific and Motu Proprio Francis. I think we should expect a lot more of that. Priests and bishops are going through Francis fatigue. It's not just traditionalists. And so that I would think would be the, the great silver line that we need to consider here that this isn't over but the traditional latin mass is worth fighting for they're fighting against it we're fighting for for in favor of it and right now there are it's a very strong movement so praise god for that yeah it's interesting too that i, I saw on social media a, a considerable amount of people saying i've never been to the traditional latin mass i've always wanted to go i'm putting off now i'm going to go and if you think about it like this pope francis loves pachamama loves yeah. James Martin. Just put a column, everything he loves. And I think most well-formed people are like, ooh, I don't like that list. And then you have another column, he doesn't like the Latin Mass. That's yeah. just an argument to check out the Latin Mass, folks. If you've been dragging your feet. I think a lot of people, when it comes to the Latin Mass, if they're a woman, they're like, I don't have a veil. Or if they're a man, I, I don't know where I'm going to stand or if I'm going to kneel. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to be uncomfortable, so I'm not going to go. COVID allowed people because of the live streaming, to sort of get exposed to TLM feels and looks. But now Absolutely. I really hope 2021 is the year where people, I mean, I don't know about you, Michael, Matt, but I've heard from priests, I don't know, I'm going to say, I'm going to guess 30 to 50 priests have told me their TLM congregation, parish chapel has doubled or tripled in the last year. Everybody, everybody. Everybody. And I, I think it's going to double again before Christmas. What do you think? I agree. I agree. I agree. He's, he's, this, this, is, this came out of nowhere. And I think what we saw over, over uh, COVID was a willingness. It was almost like a training period, you know, for not only for lay people, but for a lot of young priests who mm -hmm. now suddenly became used to sort of operating illegally. Or, you know, we weren't mm -hmm. supposed to be having mass. We were supposed to shut down and just let Big Brother tell us what to do. So they got their feet wet. Some of the younger, newer priests got their, their feet wet. And what it means to continue with the sacraments, continue with the faith, no matter what the state or even the Vatican says. Right. They got their feet wet. They're ready to go now. 
And Taylor, I think the, the big thing you asked about how it wasn't in the old days, are we better off or worse off? Now we're better off. And one of the reasons for that, and I remember this even though I was a young kid, what they did was they offered us this new and glorious revolution that was going to change everything and change the world and the brotherhood of man and peace and everything was going to be great. So they had this 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 carrot to put out there, and it was a mighty, con con you know, considerable carrot of an attractive thing, a great revolution. The whole world was going to be united. They don't have that now, Taylor. They got a mess on their hands. They've got people mass defecting from the church. They have complete lack of unity liturgically. This, the church in Germany is pretty much officially in schism, and there are other countries who are following that. There's such a massive clerical sex scandal that the Vatican itself was forced by Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano to call us a, a summit to address this. There, we've never seen scandal like this. This is what's offered on the one side. And then in the middle of all this, we have this beautiful flowering of the faith, young families, plenty of, of, of vocations in the traditional side of things. This is why I believe nobody wants to go in the direction of the rotting corpse that is the conciliarist church at this point. And that's why they had to take this severe action. This is persecution against the flowering of the faith that I think that makes the big difference. They don't have anything to offer us this time other than darkness and death. And we have life and, 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 and a future on the traditional side of things. And for that reason, I'm not probably as depressed as a lot of other people are. Having lived through the way things were in the 70s, this is not even close. I'm so excited. I'm so proud. People like yourself and a lot of people who are a little newer to the movement, ready to fight no matter what. You just said by Christmas we're going to double again. That's exactly the spirit that's needed. That's the spirit that's going to terrify the revolutionaries, I think, as well. They, they know we're not going away this time. We're not giving up this time. It's over our dead bodies. Are they going to take the mass and the faith of our fathers away from us? That's right. And we got to challenge everyone this weekend. Bring five friends to the Latin Mass. And when you're at the Latin Mass, look for one or two new people. Greet them. Make them feel comfortable. Let's grow this. Absolutely. Let's do this. Charity, love, fidelity, faith. This is what we got to do. Now, Michael Absolutely. Matt, you received the Sacrament of Confirmation from Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Not many people right. can say that. Your mm. family has, has been in this fight for a long time. Tell us something to encourage people. I have been overjoyed and happy all weekend. I'm Good. like, now Good. it's time for the big boys. Yeah. Now yeah. they have declared war. They don't even understand the weaponry, the spiritual weaponry on this side. They don't even understand the rosaries and the fasting and the novenas that are going to just launch up right now. Give some people some encouragement of what it was like when you're having mass in basements and hotel rooms. It still happens, but that was how it was back in the day. Absolutely. And and I just can I can speak that those memories on the one hand, it was great because that's where I learned how to serve mass. That's where I learned how to fight. We're literally in the catacombs. So I don't I don't resent having gone through that experience. But it wasn't easy, especially for the adults in the room. And I think the most discouraging thing in those years, and this is literally the way it was. There was one bishop. And then a little later on, there were two. Castro de Mayer, Archbishop Lefebvre, were the two bishops in the entire world, Taylor. And you know, you know this, but I want your, your viewers to think about this. That was it. That was it. Most of the good priests who wanted to go on saying the traditional mass Either were either they caved to the pressure of this might, as I say, this glorious new new you know revolution that was happening, or they were kicked out and they were renegades and they didn't even have a place to say the mass. So they would travel around to places like my parents, my home, my boyhood home, to the basement where we had set up an altar. But I think to answer your question, that the most what required the most faith and hope in those years was that God was going to intervene because humanly speaking. It was over. There was no Society of St. Pius X in those early years. There was no Fraternity of St. Peter. There was no Institute of Christ the King. There was no Bishop Schneider. There was no Bishop Strickland. There was no Bishop Sample. There was certainly wasn't an, an Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano. You didn't have this consolation and this proof, tangible, living, human proof, that God was still in charge, that the church is not a democracy, that he was going to find a way to save his church, because we know we can't save the church. We just have to be faithful to the church until God saves it. So today, friends, I would say, my goodness, thank your lucky stars, thank the angels, thank God, thank Our Lady in Heaven that we have so many good people, not just priests and bishops, but even so many good laymen, like the guy that runs this show, who are out there fighting all the time. This is something we didn't have back in those days. My father ran a newspaper called The Remnant. 
in this country, it was the only thing. We we, we held the, the complete monopoly. Yeah, back then, newspapers, just for all you young people, back in the old days, there was this thing called, the social media was called the newspaper. Yeah. It was exactly printed right. on paper and came to your house. That's what they were doing back then. If you wanted to comment to something that appeared in the remnant, you had to write it down. You had to send it. It took four or five days to get to the remnant. Then it had to be typed out, put it in, put through the on the press. And then maybe a couple of weeks later, you might see your comment. That's how yep. that's how slow it was. And that's 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 all there was. And I, I my hat is off to the people who were early pioneers. And I really want people to learn and study about the study of these people. Because if we have even a fraction of a faith in the confidence in God that they had, given how dark it was at the time, we got this. We're going to win this thing. We got. We already have them nervous in, in the Vatican to the extent that they're issuing mota propria like this one, a draconian, totalitarian, vicious document to try to shut us down. I, I really am not just being hyperbolic. I'm so proud, especially the young people who've taken up this cause. This is a youth movement. It's nothing like the 1970s. And yeah, they've got the power right now in Rome, but how long can you sustain just raw power? How long can that sustain this, right. this the thing they're trying to do over the faith of little young families and 10, 15 right. kids and families, and they're all, you know, in the, they're the future. Francis doesn't have any future. You've got future. Mothers, fathers out there with five, six, seven, eight kids, you're homeschooling, you're going to the traditional Latin mass. You are the future, not the folks running the Vatican right now. Yeah. And, and when they resort, we believe in canon law. We are Catholics. But when when the, the last battle is over canon law and moda proprio, and it's not about morality and theology. See, if you're a modernist, you don't really believe the faith or the morality. All you've got are these canon laws on the book. And this is really, this is this is like you said, a corpse. This is a, this is the, the beginning of death. This is the wheezing yeah. of that conciliar movement, that conciliar church. It is dying. There all they can do now, you know, Pope Francis is always about, don't be rigid, don't be rigid. All he's doing now is appealing rigid. to canon laws, and in this case, a motu proprio canon that he just created. That he's Absolutely. enforcing in a ri the most rigid way possible. It's intolerant, isn't it? <laughs> it's incredibly intolerant. And you know, Hilaire Belloc famously said, when they resort to this kind of thing, when the revolution resorts to persecution, which is what this document is, yes. it's, don't any, let anybody tell you differently. This is persecution of those of us who follow the traditional faith. When they resort to persecution again, it means their revolution failed because it failed to drive the faith out of us. In fact, it's been getting stronger every year. We've all felt this movement, this traditional Catholic movement, stronger every year. So the persecution that we're all going through right now is nothing more than proof at the revolution of Vatican II, and I'm not talking about the documents of Vatican II, I'm talking about the spirit of Vatican II, the revolution of Vatican II has failed, and praise God for that. Yeah. Going back to the document, I think, I might be wrong, I'll let you correct me, that remnant with the pen of Diamantano was the first to kind of give some details about draft one, draft two, draft three, what was going on. That was back, I checked the date, I believe it was June 1st. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I, I've got nothing for admiration. I'm not even going to, Diane, of course, wrote that, but there are a couple of other really solid Catholic journalists in the Vatican right now. And we need to thank God for them because that heads up was important. And I know they took a lot of heat because- They took a tremendous are, amount of heat as being unethical, but they were right. So, it so surprised me about that. Not only did they, were they obviously vindicated because what they said was, was obviously true, but a good journalist who spent years- building up integrity, his own personal integrity, and building up relationships, oftentimes is able to comment on something that's coming because of the trust that's put in them not to reveal sources. This is not, this is not lacking in integrity. This is why they get the big bucks, quote unquote, right. uh, because they've spent years doing their, you know, practicing their, their craft and they're darn good at it. So I, I, I agree with you. Thank God for Diane and some, some of her, her, uh, her allies over there. There's many really good allies. That's another thing, by the way, we did not have back in the 1970s were, were really solid journalists working right at La Stampa, right inside the Vatican, telling us what's going on. And in, in, in uh, fairness, I should also say the, Vatican, the La Stampa itself, every time I've gone to Rome to cover a story, they're incredibly fair with us. They probably are with you, too. And I think it's important to at least anticipate or allow for the possibility that even the Vatican you know, press office, some of the folks in there are a little concerned by the way the direction is going of the church is going right now, because I can only speak for myself. They're very fair with us, and then, as you say, there are some really great top-notch journalists, Catholic journalists, who are doing great work right now. Thank God for that as well. Yeah. 
Speaking of, of Diane Montaigne, I saw a tweet today, um, and it was about a clarification in the English text. Have you seen this? Yeah, yeah and I noticed it. Yeah, yeah. I just put it on the screen. You can't see it, Michael, but uh, she's clarifying the actual original Italian of the Moto Proprio Traditionis Custodis, and I'm going to blow it up and make it bigger so that my eyes can read it. But she's saying that the penultimate or second to last paragraph should read like this uh, more literally. Indications on how to proceed in the dioceses are chiefly directed by two principles. On the one hand, to provide for the good of those who are rooted in the previous form of celebration and need time to return, sorry, I, and need time to return to the Roman rite promulgated by Saints Paul VI and John Paul II. Now, that's pretty interesting because the original one that came out said in need to return in due time. This says in need time. So it seems that the implicit message here in Traditionis is uh, we're only allowing you guys to have the TLM because you just need a little bit more time to get back to the Roman rite. Am I reading that right? That's exactly how I read it. Yeah. That's exactly, and that seems to be the spirit of the document. There's no pastoral concern for the preservation of the traditional Latin Mass, as there, at, to some extent, there was in Ecclesia Dei, and there certainly was in Simorum, despite disagreements with those two documents. This one has no concern. The spirit of this is we're phasing it out. Right. And I think that's, again, talk about great 51 news. years later. <laughs> They're phasing <laughs> it out 51 years yeah. later. It's hilarious. It's it really is. And if you think, we just did a piece on this at the Remnant. If you think of the two things that we always said, the mass had never been, the traditional mass had never been abrogated. Well, Benedict made that very clear. That can't be changed. Yeah, well, and that the law right. of faith and the law of prayer, there's a, there's a rupture between the Lex Arani Lex Credendi of the past and the Lex Arani Lex Credendi of the new mass. So the point that we're trying to make is actually Francis has now come out and said, you're absolutely right. There is a rupture. We can't even have that Latin mass. There's such a departure from the law of prayer in the old mass. We don't even want it in a parish, a parochial church. Right. What is he saying, Taylor, other than, yeah, this is a completely, as a certain bishop once said, a new religion. And we cannot have that old religion deterring from the new one. So he's throwing it out of the church. But I know there are there are some people, like there's some rumors now of dubia having been sent to ask for some clarifications. I, I, also on that word parochial church, what is he talking about there? You know, So the document, again, I think in typical Francis fashion, He's leaving, you know, leaving bombs here and there, and it's it's very ambiguous, and we're just going to work it out as we go along. And so there's no there's no precision, not a lot of precision, other than time to get rid of that Latin mass, right. you know, because the law of prayer is the law of faith. When you go to the traditional Latin mass, you learn theology. People say, "Well, it's in Latin." How? Trust me, you're learning theology. Joan of Arc was illiterate. And she was formed. When, when she went before her inquisitors, they could not stump her on the faith. She was yeah. a literate woman who went to the Latin Mass since the time she was a baptized infant. They got her on her wearing men's clothes, and they got her for, for that. But they didn't get her on the right. faith because she was yeah. formed in the liturgy. And look what happened when they went to the Novus Ordo. Look at every single indicator, leading indicator in the church. Whether it's baptisms, confirmations, ordinations, religious, nuns, marriages, uh, birth rates, just anything. Down, 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 down. Absolutely. When? 1965 to 1970. Yeah. It's, it's, it kind of reminds me of the Biden administration. It's not like these things are happening by accident. This was intentional because nobody's making any serious effort to stop them, either dismantling our country now or dismantling the church before. And it's just funny, you reminded me, I went to church on Sunday Mass, I had my little eight-year-old son with me, for those who say it's impossible for children to follow the Latin Mass, and he's eight, and he's, he can follow the Latin Mass, but he, for some reason, had gone to a wrong part in his missile, and so he's in an English section of his child's, you know, hand missile. And th this poor kid, I spent my whole Mass just trying to help him out, figure out where, where he is in the text, because there was no Latin, Taylor. I thought that was so ironic. He can follow the Mass just fine when he's reading the Latin, because he can hear what the priest is saying, you know? So my point is, even an eight-year-old, yes. and this is not a surprise to anyone who studied church history for 2,000 years, many, many, all the Catholics all, all, right, all the Roman Rite Catholics. All the children, yeah, uh, without necessarily a terrific understanding of Latin. Uh, and it still held the faith together, and they still stayed in the church, and there weren't mass defections, as we're seeing now under the Novus just 50 years later, yeah. you know?
You could go ask every Catholic in the world in 1899, do you believe that the bread transubstantiates into the literal body of Christ? And I'm pretty sure you would have got 100% yes. Yeah, absolutely. You don't get it today. Absolutely. Walk into a Novus Ordo absolutely. Parish, roll that poll out, and you'll be lucky if you get 50% saying yes. Lucky. That's right. That's right. Because they have been trained yeah, not I, to believe it. That's it. In the liturgy. It's absolutely, it's intentional. I agree. I mean, if you think about the power of the Catholic Church, we can go back and give all sorts of examples forming the greatest civilization that there, that there ever, ever was. But think about the Catholic Church, even in the 1930s, after they lost the papal states, after you know that the, the church had suffered a great deal, the pope had been in prison for a while, they had lost the Catholic states, confessional states. Con uh, contraception comes along after the Lambeth con Conference. Pope Pius XI in Costi Canubi is actually able to exert such influence over the Catholic people worldwide over something they were doing behind the closed doors of their bedrooms by coming after contraception that the world was terrified of still of the power of the Catholic Church, even just through that, through, through the influence against contraception. It shows you what the faith of the people was like, even after the Church had lost her temporal power, because the faith is stronger than the temporal power. It's interesting to see, to see that, and of course now today, that's completely lost over the course of the past 50 years. You had mentioned uh, an interesting phrase earlier, I want to re-explore that, Francis fatigue. Uh, you and yeah. I have deep Francis fatigue. But right. what about Francis fatigue for the liberals? Does James Martin, does he still like Francis? Does he have Francis fatigue? What about your run-of-the-mill USCCB bishop? What's he thinking about Francis? I think it depends on what advantage they have to, you know, that they have to, to kind of go along with what Francis is doing. Um, I think that one of the, you know, the cards, a lesser important card that we should be playing right now to the gay and lesbian, the homosexual community, is that Francis is lying to them. Mm -hmm. I think they're being lied to. They're being deceived. The church's teaching regarding that lifestyle have, has not changed at all. Every catechism still has it on the books. It's a sin, mortal sin. Uh, and, and yet Francis, and by Francis, I mean the Francis pontificate, is lying to, they're deceiving these people by pretending like there's no problem. So I think there's a possibility that that section of cross-section of society, once they realize they're being, they're being lied to, then nothing's changed, and they either have to get out of the church completely or they have to get the, <laughs> the, the church's laws to change. That could be a moment where they would, that segment would turn on Francis. I, I don't know. I mean, Francis, average run-of-the-mill Catholics, are they paying that much attention to Francis? I'm not sure. He doesn't have the dynamism. He doesn't have the charism of John Paul II. He doesn't have the grandpa, you know, grandpa Ratzinger lovable thing right. about, about Benedict either. There's something about this man that I think is, is a little difficult for people to take, and that's probably one of the reasons we're seeing a lot of bishops right now. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty impressed with a number of statements that have come out from bishops in the wake of the, of the, of the motu proprio. And if you look not that far between the lines, you can see a certain sympathy for us. Like, what is going on here? What is this pope doing? Why is he suddenly attacking the most faithful people in my diocese? You know, so I think the Francis fatigue factor is going to go up. I honestly yeah. do. I think this is really baffling to a lot of people. You know, let's talk about things that a lot of bishops care about. Rome cares about. Not the faith per se, but dollar bills, euros, money. People who are trying, working hard, and giving and tithing sacrificially tend to be in the more traditional communities. In fact, it's remarkable. Yeah. You look at some of these traditional parishes and communities, the, 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 the way that they can raise money for building funds and for projects is astounding. Yeah. Do you think bishops or even Rome is looking over there and thinking, hmm, I'd like to get some of that. We gotta be careful with that. You know, I wish it were that simple. <laughs> I used to think that money talks always and forever. I think there's something more sinister going on right now. I think the money is coming from, look at the financial scandal in the, in the Vatican. It hasn't made them change their attitude at all on anything. It's almost like they're getting the funding from the, I hate to sound conspiratorial, but from the Soros, Gates crowd, the Davos, the world, the like wherever it's coming from. They're getting, yeah, they're getting financial back China. there. 
almost given up on the tithing and don't seem to care. We used to be able to. Now, that's with respect to the Vatican. I think bishops, and that's why I think we really need to put our heads together, all of us. There are a number of bishops right now who I think are seeing not only that, that financially the traditional churches are the strongest, but there's a sympathy. You know, they come over and they do our confirmations and there are all these little kids come up to them and they, they, they cry and they have the old, that, they have hearts too. Yeah. And we have this opportunity right now, I think, to go before we start scolding the bishops for what just happened or for, you know, even issuing any sort of document about what they might have to do in the future. Let's encourage them because I, I really believe that not just the financial part, but also they don't, they see the injustice of this. Mm. And there are no, some of them, they're useless. If you're, I'm sorry, if you're in Chicago and you got to deal with soupage, forget about it. But there are a lot of really good bishops out there who I think are very, con, uh, very concerned about what's happening. They may be more easily won over than we think. Because again, they're not stupid. They can they realize that Francis is ideologically much more aligned with Bill Gates and George Soros than he is with a pro-life American bishop. So yeah, he's trying to get rid of get the traditional Catholics out of the way right now of this great reset. Not too far down the line, he's going to need to get rid of all those pro-life, those Strickland type bishops as well. And if you doubt me on this, just ask yourself what happened when Archbishop Gomez tried to do the right thing by saying that Biden Pelosi type Catholics should not be given communion. Who shot Gomez down? Yeah. The Vatican. Yeah. So they know when they try to do the right thing now, they can count on Francis opposing them. I think that presents a beautiful opportunity for, for us to prayerfully approach some of these men, not only the priests, but also the bishops, and see if we can kind of bring them our way. We got to, there's, no, there's no reason not to do that after the, after the motor proper. We might as well try that uh, and see what happens. And from what we've seen already from the documents coming out of the, the various dioceses, I think there's reason to hope there too. I don't know what you think, but I, some of those those documents, seem, those statements, seem pretty good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Michael, when we were in Rome, I think it's been two years now. We were on a panel with uh, LifeSite and Voice of the Family, and one of the things that you said in your I don't know if it was in a Q and A or in your actual presentation, but you said the papacy has led us into this hole, but we can't reject the papacy. The papacy is the way out. Something like that. Can you explain yeah, what that yeah. means? Because right now it doesn't look like any pope's coming along anytime soon to lead us back into the full beauty of the Roman rite. What, what do you mean by that? To, so, so do you remember what year Dominus Jesus was? For some reason, it's slipping my, my mind right now. Uh, 20, 1999, I think. Was it that early? 2000? Okay. I, I, I think it was so. 2000 was, something, yeah. I'll look it in up. In any case, I'm, so it's kind of obscure. I didn't mean to put you on the, down the spot. I can't remember what it was. But when Dominus Jesus came out, which is a document when Cardinal Ratzinger, Joseph Ratzinger, was head of the CDF, Michael Davies, who knew Ratzinger personally, and of course he's a pioneer traditionalist, uh, we took a little bit of issue with some of the points in Dominus Jesus. I think we were right to do so. And Michael approached me and said, let's leave. 2000, okay. He said, let's leave off on that. He said, Ratzinger is going to prove to be a better friend to tradition than, than we think. And he, and, and he knew him personally. Now, Fast forward to the next conclave after John Paul died. I thought, and maybe I mentioned this to you before, it sounds like I'm bragging. I actually thought it was going to be Joseph Ratzinger who was, who was going to be uh, the next pope. Now, I didn't write it down, so who cares? I'm just talking through my hat. <laughs> but I, was, I feel like I was the only one who ever thought that might happen, and I was kind of eager. And I was at the, the conclave. And I was right out in the piazza when they called Joseph Ratzinger as the next pope. I cried and I danced in the street. I was so happy. And I knew what he was. I knew he had modernist tendencies. I remember the right. pictures of Ratzinger in a coat and tie. But there was something about him. He still had retained some of the faith. And I was really hopeful. And that hopefulness, that's Catholic. Like every one of us needs to know we don't get to leave the church and start our own church, that God is going to use the hierarchical structure that he himself established to restore the church. So we have to be hopeful every single time a new pope comes along that this is the one. And I would use Joseph Ratzinger as an example. You can have, you can quibble with, with uh, um, some warm pontificum. There were some things in there I didn't like, a lot of things in there I didn't like either. But look what happened as a result of one pope taking a back, just turning back a little bit and doing something in deference to tradition and to the faith. It changed history. It was a, it's a, it's a, a, a monumental moment in the history of the church that Benedict did what he did, and now we got to fight with that. But that's what I meant in Rome. Look for that. The papacy is the way out. So we, we have to resist Francis right now. We have to resist him as Paul resisted Peter, not because we're Protestants, not because we're more Catholic than the Pope or better than the Pope, but because we have confidence 
It is through Peter and through the chain of command that ultimately God will restore his church. We need to defend it. Like I get in so much trouble for calling Francis your holiness. That's his title. I'm not talking about his personal spirituality. I'm talking about the title given to him by the church. It's also called the Holy See. We need to hold that up. We cannot let Bergoglio destroy the Holy See, the Holy Office, or the Holy Father, the position of Holy Father. So in our resistance of him, we have to do it in such a way that it retains respect and holds up the papacy. If it means we suffer under one pontificate, suffer under one pope, then so be it. We're prepared to suffer under him even if we have to resist what he's doing because the faith comes first. And we're not inventing anything. We're not debating with Francis. We're saying we must stay where the faith is protected and where our children will be able to keep the faith. That's all it is. It's just staying with what was handed down to us. But yeah, I absolutely believe that it has to be done in such a way. That's why having a Vigano, having a Bishop Schneider, having the men in the hierarchy more or less fighting with us is hugely important so that we do it right. Was there anything in the Moto Proprio that was, the what was the most shocking thing? I think for me, before you answer, was that, that any priest ordained after this day cannot say the traditional Latin Mass without permission from his bishop, who then has to then seek it again from Rome, the Apostolic See. To me, mm-hmm. that was the big... I actually heard a rumor that they were going to do that, but I immediately had dismissed it, saying that's way too harsh, they wouldn't do that. To me, that was the most shocking thing. What about you? Was it the parish thing, parochial churches? That 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 was in there. Both of those were in my certainly in my top five. I think my number one concern was the urgency, <laughs> the immediacy, As the of totality this day. of this thing. Right uh, now. Yeah, no 90-day window. You know, like, Oh my gosh, yeah, that, that just, it doesn't happen like that ever. And that's, I think, why so many bishops right now are stunned and they're really forced to think about this. What's going on, you know? And, and so what, I, what, what right came to my mind is I hate, I hate to be right, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about a bunch of us who put our heads together, traditional Catholics, and just, you know, conservative folks, about the Great Reset and about Davos and about the World Economic Forum, because I want to be wrong about that. That that whole thing, that's not a conspiracy theory. That's absolutely what COVID is all about. This whole thing is all about what they have in mind for this great reset. And it's my conviction that that when a rather significant number of traditional Catholic priests and laity showed that they were not going to be compliant with that. Now, I don't mean that they were defying and risking people's lives and refusing masking right. and all that. I don't mean that. When they said, no, you're not going to declare our church non-essential. You're not going to declare the sacraments non-essential. So we took to the parking lots. And I think that was proof that Francis does not have a hold of this. He's got a, he's got to hand the entire church over to Gates and Soros and company. That the church has to be compliant. It has to be out of the way for this great reset and the new world order that they have, the new order that they have in mind. Over the 15, past 15 months of COVID, Traditional Catholic, lay people, priests, bishops, all the way to Archbishop Vigano, were it was almost an embarrassment to Francis. He realized he doesn't quite have the sway as Pope that he guaranteed that he would have to sort of shut the Catholic world down. And I think that's what the immediacy was all about. This great reset is going to happen one way or another, and they're shutting every pocket of resistance down. And whether we realize it or not, the traditional Catholic resistance, praise God, was pretty impressive. I mean, it was pretty impressive. We're among the few on the face of the earth— that stayed open, that went to the parking lots and continued to practice our faith in a public way. That's that after I when I saw the document, I said, Oh my gosh, I think we're right about that. I think that really the traditionalism really is a threat. It's one of the threats. I'm not saying it's the only threat in the whole world, but it's a very serious threat, which of course is somewhat ominous, but it should also be very encouraging for us. We have a crusade, friends. The the the, the most important thing that we need to do to give to our children and our communities is the sense of crusade that we will fight and die for Christ the King, for what we believe, that we will fight and die for this Mass. We proved that over the past 15 months. I did a show the other day, and I'm, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I'm so proud of the people who said, who made it clear over COVID, we're going st- to make a stand. We're going to fight for this. Yeah. That is encouraging. We're, we should be fired up and happy and thanking God for the grace that even in the middle of a pandemic, a scary pandemic where people were dying and all of that, we still said, no, we're going to continue to be, to follow our faith no matter what. Taylor, that's great news. And I hope we can just, like you say, double it by Christmas, build on that, because that's exactly what we have to do. Speaking of crusade, I think in a, an interview that we did before, you had mentioned observing your father and the men in your family as fighters for the faith, fighters for the matter, yeah. fighter for orthodoxy. 
And I think, if I remember correctly, you attributed that to you having faith as a grown man, as an adult Catholic man. Dads out there watching, your daughters and sons need to see you as a fighter, as a warrior for the Catholic faith and for the Mass. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at the first, the prayers at the foot of the altar of the traditional Latin Mass. You know, the pray, praying that God, why have you left us alone when we have to defend ourselves against this attack? I'm paraphrasing right. the, the attack you of our enemies. Name. There's a reason, exactly. There's a reason why we are, when we receive the, the, the sacrament of confirmation, we become soldiers of Jesus Christ. That's not just, that's just not a term that, that the church just threw out there for the fun of it. Literally. And it's not just a matter of fighting for, for, to become saints, fighting for our souls and our salvation. Of course, that's it. But we are also called, according to the promises of our confirmation, to never be afraid, to, to never deny our faith. And to rather die, in fact, that's right there in the teaching, the catechetical teaching, to rather die defend, defending that faith rather than ever deny it. That, ha that, that means something. And this is why we always tell the stories of, of the Vendée and of the Cristeros and of the Catholics of the Western Uprising, people who were willing to die for the faith. We have to be there. It can't just be all positive and happy and we just feel so joyful inside. <laughs> no, there's, 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 there's got to be a militancy. And our sons especially have to see this. And this, this is like, I'm, I'm not anybody's preacher, you know, I, I'm just a Catholic activist, a journalist. But I mean, you got to get down on your knees and you got to pray the rosary. I, we do it at our house in the dark with a, a candle lit. So the flickering flame flashes on the face of Our Lady and of St. Joseph and of Christ the King in a way, especially for young kids, comes alive. They see mom and dad on their knees. These are the, the attitude and the, and the actions of crusaders, people who are getting ready to go to war no matter what. So I'm not trying to be overly pious or you know God-bothering everybody, but in every chance that you get to show your children you're ready to suffer and fight for this thing, you guarantee not only that your children are going to keep the faith, which is your first order of business anyway as parents, but they'll be around at the end, at the end of your life when you're old and you're facing nursing homes and all. You're going to have strong Catholic young people and grandchildren. You're going to have that support system that, of course, the nanny states wanted to er you know, eradicate that as well. But you'll have that. That's another benefit from becoming a true soldier of Jesus Christ and letting your sons and daughters see you proudly fight for it. Absolutely. Absolutely essential, in my opinion. Now, part of this fight, we're kind of we're running into our bump time. We're on 42 minutes here. But part of this fight goes back to, I think you coined it, unite the clans. You can't fight by yourself. And I've been, you know, since I've been kind of repeating that slogan, unite the clans, unite the clans, I've actually received some resistance, some correction on both sides. There are those who are Novus Ordo or who are post-trad or who aren't really traditionalists who say, well, yeah, but Lefebvre this, 1988 this, SSPX this, yeah, well, I heard this happen in the Fraternity of St. Peter. We can't unite around that, right? And then on the other side, you have your, your more radical traditionalists who say institute is compromised, fraternity is compromised, diocese is compromised, we can't work with anyone. You have to only work with the people who have the same letters behind our name. How is it that we can unite, even though there are theoretical, juridical differences? Is it possible, or should we just stay in our own camp and fight there? No, this is a, it's a very common uh, misconception about the whole idea of unite the clans. I mean, we could talk about you know, I just the Dijon, France, the Fraternity of Saint Peter just got thrown out for yeah. not con celebrating the new mass. So that whole myth about them selling out, but that would be to parse and break down everything you just mentioned. I think it's much easier to just say that uniting the clans can happen right now. I'll give I'll give you and I as an example. I haven't been on your show in what a year or whatever it's been. You're you're a clan. Your family is one of the clans, Catholic mm -hmm. clans. Mine is too. You're out there fighting. We don't talk every day. I'm not on your show. Right. Not on my show all the time. But we've we're united absolutely in spirit. We're doing the same thing. We're fighting the same fight. So my thing is, if you can't bring yourself to attend the fraternity of St. Peter, if you're on the far you know right of tradition, well, you know they shouldn't have gone along with 19. We need to let that go and understand there are there are good families over there who didn't have anything else, who found the fraternity, and their whole lives have been turned upside down now. Yeah, in a their good godparents way. were at that parish. Advertised. Yeah, absolutely. Just Fraternity St. Peter came to Minneapolis. It's packed out now. I don't know, two, three masses a Sunday. I don't know half of those people. They're all from the Nova Sordo. They're all right. coming in. They're coming in the right direction. So 
The thing about the clans, I know you're running out of time. The thing about the clans to remember, it all depends on the direction. If you know some certain traditional Catholics that don't go to the chapel where you go, the church where you go, but they're coming from the Novus Ordo, they're not trying to rush out the other side of the church and go start an independent church on their own because that's the flip side of the coin. Those families, all those families, traditional Catholics, even if you don't agree that it's a fraternity or the society, this has really nothing to do with the priests. Father can give his blessing to this if he wants. He almost has to, because basically what the United Clans means is in charity, look at each other as friends, brothers, and allies. And remember this, the folks on the left who right now under the Biden administration want to take us all down, they want to call us all hate criminals and everything, they don't recognize any difference between something called the fraternity of St. Peter right. and the society of St. Pius. They don't even know what you're talking about. They just know that we are you know, Bible-believing Latin mass going or, you know, Catholic men and women, families having a bunch of kids, and that's got to go. So it's in our own best interest to unite the clans. If you're on a battlefield, my dad fought in World War II. He was in the, the, the army. Well, there was at that point, there was the Navy, there was the Marines, there were the branches. And he used to tell stories about what happened behind the lines in the cantinas and the bars when they were back there for whatever. You know what they were doing? They were fighting. Yeah. So they didn't necessarily love each other, beating each other up, the various branches of the military. I think we should look at it somewhat similar. We may not agree on everything. We may see a different strategy, but we got to forge ahead against the enemy that hates Christ, hates the church, hates everything we believe in, and leave those little differences to be discussed later. You know, so I know it doesn't really have much to do with the society versus the fraternity at all. We can unite the clans today, and guess what? After what just happened, it's absolutely <laughs> urgent that we do so. We need to unite and stand against what's happening. And we can do that immediately. It doesn't have to have right. an official proclamation from an order of priests or a society of priests. That's how I see it. Yeah, and, and I think I think some people are concerned that we're engaged in some sort of like upper level ecumenism where the differences are good or we celebrate our diversity or whatever, right? We're not. I mean, the, the questions that do exist about supply jurisdiction, 1988, consecrations without papal mandate all these are pretty serious conversations sure they should sure. be had and they and they will get worked out over time so i don't think you or me are saying hey let's let's sweep all this under the rug it doesn't really matter or let's celebrate our diversity i think what we're saying is we are in a war bullets are we are going whizzing over our heads and we're going to settle that but right now when it comes to the mass when it comes to the theology when it comes to tradition, we all have to move forward and we can splice out. There's disagreements in every single one. I've talked to priests in the SSPX. They have different takes on the Second Vatican Council. Archbishop Vigano and Bishop Schneider have different takes on the Absolutely. Second Vatican Council. I have met a, a, a so much diversity in the fraternity of St. Peter on the Second Vatican Council. So it's a... It's a very complicated issue of the last 51, 56 years. Even Archbishop Lefebvre himself um, modified his position over time. Maybe which yeah, look, still... look at him in night. Yeah. In, like in 1988, if you watch his speech, this is a man who's devastated. His mm -hmm. heart is broken when he gives that talk, the famous talk at the consecrations mm -hmm. in 88, summer of 88. I would also point to my own situation, my own family. My, my two brothers working for the Wander that they had gotten from their father and their grandfather. Vatican II hits, a new mass hits. One brother says, we need to, we can't go along with this. The other says, we must obey. Taylor, right. those are two very Catholic attitudes. The preservation of the faith, no matter what, and we must obey the, the Pope, no matter what, as my uncle said. Right. Those, that, that shows you how this, this whole revolution has blown people apart. We have to anticipate that. you got to be charitable to people who aren't where you are quite yet. Try to lead them. Try to lovingly lead them. Share your opinion about what strategic, strategically makes the most sense. But don't anathematize people who are going to Latin Mass and realize something went wrong in Vatican II and are trying to be good Catholics and raise their kids. Those people are on our side, even if we disagree strategically on where they go to Mass. To me, it seems very simple. I think, we've, I think the, the big problem now in the church and in the state is the polarization. Push everybody apart. Don't get anybody talking. And, you know, they win. The other side wins. Yeah. Can't let that happen. And I think traditionalists should be pretty proud of how we have come together a lot mm -hmm. more now than 20 years ago. I think so. Especially I saw it in 2020. Traditional Catholics, all different kinds coming together, supporting each other, praying for each other. The priests ministering to all different groups. It was Absolutely. fantastic. It was fantastic. And I hope really, we continue that. Yeah. Continue that.
Yeah. All right. So the yeah, the remnant, y'all have been uh, y'all been some bad boys, and I guess you're not on YouTube right now. Did you get back on soon? I think we're back on tomorrow. We've been okay. in we've been in YouTube jail. We've been a naughty boy. You're right. So uh, tomorrow <laughs> we get to go back. And I think we quoted Archbishop Vigano just once too many times, and oh we got goodness. knocked out for a week. So, <laughs> so you're back. Yeah, so they, they, it's back. Remnant TV. So tomorrow when they're yeah. actually they'll probably can go there now and subscribe. Absolutely. Yeah, and keep that in mind. Like, you know, even no matter what happens with anybody's shows, if you're, we, we've, we have built an alternative to, to YouTube, at least on a, on a lower level with remnant-tv.com. We're just going there. We're going to putting too hot for, you know, big tech videos there and all sure. of the TV is going to be there. Eventually, you know, we hope to offer it to anybody who's getting thrown off big tech or YouTube. You know, at this point, we're mm -hmm. almost there. But yeah, remnant-tv.com and YouTube when they'll allow us. That's Good. where we're at right now. Yeah. Good. Well, everybody, uh, subscribe to uh, the Remnant channel on YouTube. You can check out remnant-tv.com, remnantnewspaper.com. Uh, follow Michael Matt. Lots of lots of good work. You guys have been, like I said, y'all are OG. You're the original guardians, old school. So thank you, Michael Matt, for keeping. It. Thank you. Thanks for sharing your your thoughts as a as a pioneer family. You know, in this for a long time. And I think it's encouraging for you to say, hey. It may be a kind of a reset, but we are so much further down the road 51 years later. I'm still smiling, Taylor. And part of it is because of guys like you are doing great work. I'm a big fan. Keep doing it. Keep going at them. You know, we're going to win this. And we know God wins in the end. We stay with God. We're going to be all right in the end. Yep. Yep. All right. I'm going to close this up with the uh, the Hail Mary and, and challenge everyone to uh, join in with me. Before I close up, I will just say again, pray the rosary every day. You got to do it. Fatima, 1917, Our Lady came down. Pray the rosary every day. A third of the rosary, five decades, 20 minutes. You must pray the rosary. That's our weaponry. It's not about going and being a troll on social media or Twitter or cussing out the liberals. You get down on your knees, like Michael Matt said, light the candle in front of the statue or the icon of Our Lady and pray the rosary every single day or you're not on the team. All right, now we're going to pray the Hail Mary. Oremos. Nomini Patris et Fidii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et ora mortis nostri. Amen. All saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, Amen. everybody, thanks for watching. If you like this video, please take a moment right now and push the like button. Push the subscribe button and hit the bell so you'll be notified. And then most importantly, share this video with your family and friends. YouTube, I guarantee you, is not a huge fan in their algorithm of Michael Matt content or Taylor Marshall content. They're not making us a priority and pushing us to the masses. So the only way that not people so are going to watch these shows, when you're watching Remnant or you're watching the Taylor Marshall podcast, at the end of the show, do us a favor and share it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you do. When you share it, that's kind of our trad algorithm that gets it out there. So please do that. Uh, Michael Matt, thank you so much. Thanks, Taylor. God bless you. Thanks for being on. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. God bless. Godspeed. Keep praying those rosaries. <laughs>